Merdeka! Merdeka! Good evening and welcome, dear viewers and listeners, to another segment on world religions. Tonight, AMIA, the Archdiocesan Ministry of Ecumenical and Interreligious Affairs, in collaboration with Catholics at Home, brings you another exciting evening of conversations with yet another faith. As most of you already know, AMIA is embarking on this humble effort of creating greater understanding of different faiths, thus forging a greater harmony among all. That is precisely the objective of AMIA. Tonight, it's Sikhism. If you remember, on two different evenings, Father Clarence did mention how we played football in our Taman in Rawang with friends of different faiths. This also brings me memories of my first encounter with Sikh friends. My classmate in Form 2, I still remember their names, Manjit Singh and his elder brother Sajit, Sarjit Singh. We were virtually on the field for a game of hockey every evening then. Some evenings we played badminton as there was a court in front of the post office where they also resided as their father was a postmaster. This was in Tapa Perak, as Father Clarence mentioned earlier. It was sports again that brought us together then. But today, the whole ball game is different. We have all grown old. We are not going to play football anymore. But we are meeting people in different platform. Now, I, when I was in working career, I had two friends whom I got acquainted. Unfortunately, the earlier ones, we lost contact. We got so acquainted that I became a family friend to them. Over the years, we have lost contact. Today, we got three new friends to share. Uh, besides the MCC, BSC, HST in Sramban, we have got friends there. But these three new friends, I call upon Father Clarence, the private moderator, to introduce them and get the session cracking. Okay? So stay tuned, get set. Okay, over to Father Clarence. Hi, good evening. Good evening, Father Xavier. How are you? Very good. Well, I mean, yeah, as you as you talked about your friends and playing football, yeah, I'm reminded of my own school friends too, uh, you know, who whom we played football, we shared so many things, shared food together. And I think today to have this this conversation is, is such, an, uh, such a privilege and such an important aspect of our life here in Malaysia. Now, before before we, we jump into this conversation, for the Xavier, today we are on the on part four, right, of uh, of seven a uh, seven part series that we're having this conversation. How is the how's the feedback been? You know what, what kind of feedback have you been getting from from friends, from parishioners? Very good question, <clears throat> Father. Uh, well, it is very promising. It has been very promising, and people are very encouraged. Uh, in fact, uh, both Catholics and friends from other faiths, uh, some have been have been texting me and telling me, Father, it's a good uh, good thing that you all have embarked on, and uh, we have come to know a lot about other religions. People have become indeed they have become so appreciative. They have become so appreciative and some said, I, I didn't know so much of uh, what uh, I in store in their religions, you know. And uh, at least uh, a good many Catholics themselves have come. 
So I'm very, very pleased and happy that uh, this uh, platform where we are engaging ourselves with our different friends of different religions is not just simply to learn about other religions, but become friends. Uh, and that is the beautiful thing. And I think uh, more people should be able to come together and, you know, rather than shunning and having adverse reactions towards the other, it is more like a friendship, a cordial thing. And I think that is very, very welcoming for the Clarence. It's very welcoming. Yeah, indeed. Yeah. <clears throat> so once again, good evening to, to all our, our viewers from wherever you are tuning in. I uh, hope you've had a good evening. You've had your, your dinner and you are kind of settled back to join this conversation once again. Now, if you are following this conversation, uh, we are broadcasting live on YouTube and Facebook. And if you are watching on Facebook or YouTube, do invite your friends. Uh, don't forget to invite your friends. Still not too late. We haven't jumped into or dived into this conversation. Or as far as Xavier said, we haven't gotten cracking yet. Uh, do invite them to come and join us in this conversation, this interesting conversation that we have uh, with these three uh, gentlemen uh, who have so graciously uh, accepted to to speak and to not just speak but to have this conversation. I think one of the things we we kind of we are proud of this this platform is that uh, we are not here to give talks to anyone. Uh, we are not here to you know to just to educate people, but you know letting people to to listen to a conversation uh, and to learn and to be able to appropriate things that that we didn't know. And I think this is the whole idea of of this uh, this platform that we have have kind of initiated. Catholics at home and together with Amea to be able to have this conversation. So, Father Xavier, let's let's welcome uh, our three guests uh, this evening, uh, who, who are here with us. Let me first uh, uh, introduce. Let me see if I can bring them in. That's right. Okay. Uh, so this evening uh, we have uh, three very distinct gentlemen uh, who are here with us. Uh, allow me to introduce them very briefly. Uh, we have Captain Sukhdev, uh, who is the founder uh, and also director of the Sri Dashmesh International School. I'm sure many of you have heard of him or encountered him. Uh, we have Mr. Sukhdev Singh, uh, who is the, the secretary uh, for the Gurdwara Sahib uh, Guru Nanak in Shah Alam. Uh, and we also have Dr. Tasdev, uh, who's also the youth leader uh, in the same temple. So welcome. Good evening, gentlemen. Welcome to this to this platform, to this conversation. Uh, on understanding world religions, and today we are focusing on Sikhism. I hope you're not too nervous. Uh, thank you, Father Clarence. Uh, thank you for this opportunity to to be together this evening with you all, and also the audience, the wider audience that that is uh, probably participating and joining us. Yeah. So before before we we kind of uh, enter into this conversation, I, I know that you know uh, there are lots of things that are happening. You know, during this time of lockdown. Uh, many conversations have been held, uh, and this is our effort uh, to somehow engage with with different religions to help people understand better. I think it's very important that we understand one another so that we kind of you know rid ourselves of all you know all prejudices or all misconceptions or what people have told us and and we have been believing it for many years. Today, literally, we want to hear it from you. Uh, we want to know what Sikhism is all about. What is the way of life? What are the practices? Uh, and 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 you know, as we encounter each other, uh, we we are kind of like you know, we can be we can we can be uh, uh, grow in friendship. But before we begin, you know, I, I, I as a little boy, I I I I think the story might be quite funny. But you know, with no disrespect to anyone, uh, as a little boy, and I, I used to remember this advertisement, Standard Chartered Bank. I don't know how many of you remember. 
you know, yes. <laughs> big, strong, friendly. And this, friendly. this Sikh gentleman used to sit there, you know, he, he was the, the, the figure of, 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 you know, of, of Sikhism. I, I used to be very afraid of him. Uh, you know, he was, he was like, you know, oh, you know. So that was my first encounter with, with someone uh, uh, who, who practices this particular faith. But I think, you know, as years went by, as far as Xavier said, we all had friends in school uh, and, and my, my classmates were also uh, uh, of, the, of the Sikh way of life. But before we jump in, uh, if I may just start off, uh, Captain Sukhdev, just help us to understand, you know, what, is, what, are, what are the fundamental teachings of Sikhism? You know, I, I know in one hour we can't really cover everything, but what is core? What is the, the core of, of Sikhism and what, what, is, what is the purpose of life? If you can help us to understand in a nutshell. Um, the core, the core of Sikhism, core and uh, okay, let's start with the core then. Basically, the 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 view, the the, the view of the Sikh uh, faith is that there is the Creator, there is the Creator, and um, there is the creation, and um, for for the creation uh, to operate. Just like, just like we, whenever we, whenever we buy uh, some appliance or, or or some gadget, we get an instruction manual, and um, so um, so a, a, an instruction manual or instruction is necessary. We call this hukam. Um, in the Sikh uh, scripture, the first page of the Sikh scripture, uh, the we actually start with a number, not. A, a word or, or a letter. We start with a number, and that number is one. So that number, if I might just um, uh, share with you, uh, is uh, I, I've, I, I, I got this little image ready for for this this uh, this evening. You will see that this this symbol is what will you will see on the first page of the sixth scripture. And this is one. This is the number numeral one. And this is Omkar. So it means the one creator. So, so everything for us begins from the one, the creator. And then we have the creation. And in between, this is what Guru Nanak uh, introduced us, is the hukam. And uh, on this first page, talks about this hukam. The hukam is basically um, the order. The, the the will the, the the computer program that is that is been designed by the creator for this creation to function beautifully so uh, so Sikhism is about this hukam and about staying within this hukam staying within this computer program so that this whole creation becomes paradise so this is this is this is what Sikhism is all about, and Guru Nanak uh, he taught us, uh, you know, he, he he wanted to bring that message to us, you know, that there is the Creator, there is the creation, and there is the hukam in the middle, and that hukam. So now, if I may just share the second part of my message, it is, as you would be familiar with this word, it's called the Atma. The Atma is the soul. So. So he, the creator created the Atmas, and the creator is called the Paramatma. Param means supreme, supreme soul. So we have the soul, and we have the supreme soul. And to bridge this, because obviously this, we 
don't have direct access to the creator. Um, I don't think in any in, in any faith there has been any record of anyone meeting the creator face to face. Even I think in even I think in, in Christianity we have we have the glowing bush on Mount Sinai. I think that's about the closest we we we, we ever got to you know, to the creator. So it's not possible to interact directly with the creator. So the Atma is here, the Paramatma is here. So in between, God creates the Mahatma or the Dharamatma. Dharmatma or Mahatma, as you, you would have heard Mahatma Gandhi, the great soul, you know. So so we have so uh, throughout the history, throughout history of mankind and existence, these Mahatmas have been amongst us. And they are the ones who guide us, the lead the Atma to the Paramatma. So basically, that's what the Sikhi is all about. And if we live within this hukam, if we live within this hukam, then this earth and all of us humanity, uh, this place will become paradise. So if I hope that that answers the question. Yeah, I may, if I may just add a little bit more in the first stanza of this first page of our scripture, a question appears. Guru Nanak has asked this question. So how do I become enlightened? Kev Satyara Hoye. Kev Satyara Hoye. So the whole Sikh faith is about becoming enlightened and enlightening the soul so that the supreme light and our light, the Atma and the Paramatma can blend and merge. Thank you. I, I hope that addresses. So, so, so th th there, is, there is a concept of a creator uh, in, in Sikhism, uh, a supreme being that that one supreme of, being, one supreme, one being. supreme oh. creator, common for all, the creator of the creation. So uh, we are monotheistic. Uh, we believe in the one creator, and uh, what you call uh, yeah. I think that should answer that. Is there is there a name for the creator? Is that is there a name that you how do you interestingly, address interestingly, good question, uh, Father Clarence. Uh, we, we, our Guru Nanak said to us that when the Creator wasn't born and the Creator is eternal and doesn't die, who is there who is going to name the Creator? So the Creator does not have a name, but we, um, uh, to answer your question, we have, uh, we have, we have just like in every other faith, we have created certain names. These are actually descriptive names of that creative energy, that the creative force, because we understand God to be a creative energy, a creative force, not a being or not a person, not a man, not a woman has no gender. You know, so we we understand God to be a creative force, uh, a creative energy, and we call. We refer to this uh, this creator. The two common names which you may see on stickers on Sikh cars and stuff like that is Waheguru or Satnam. These are the two names. And uh, Waheguru, actually, if I may just expand on that, the Waha is actually the the wonderment that the only way we can ex <laughs> we can we can refer to God is His wonder. So this Waha is the human expression. Of that wonder, Wah Guru. So Guru, I think you're already familiar. Uh, the word Guru word is Guru means for, Guru is uh, uh, Guru is two words, Gu and Ru, from darkness to light, darkness to light. So the one that takes us from darkness to light, that is the meaning of the word Guru. And God is Guru. 
So this wah has been placed before it. There's a, you can expand it into uh, many other things. The other name is satnam. Sat simply means um, uh, infinite. The ultimate reality. The ultimate reality. So, so we use these descriptive names to to refer to 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 the creator. Well, Xavier, uh, over yeah. to you. Uh, Captain, I want to ask you again on this uh, same uh, topic a little bit more about the Guru Nana is, is the founder of uh, Sikhism. Uh, we have been told, I mean, we understand that Guru Nana is the founder of Sikhism, but how about other gurus as well? And Guru Nana is the, the main guru that you, we, uh, we understand. Maybe a little bit on that, you could give us an understanding of that. And we also were told that Guru Nana is the voice of God. Maybe you share a little bit on that. Yeah, so as I've mentioned uh, previously, uh, throughout the history of mankind, uh, God, uh, in his kindness and in his greatness, he sends, he sends this, this enlightened souls into, into the creation. Because as uh, we, from what we understand, God has to appear in some human form to live with us, to, 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 to be with us. And that is the only way we are going to learn godliness. We can't learn uh, godliness uh, with a God that we can't from a God that we can't see. So, so we need we need these um, we need these guides. As 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 you would imagine, in every faith we have the prophets, we have the masters. So these masters uh, they, they they appear throughout. Uh, uh, it's a continuous process. So Guru Nanak is the founder of the Sikh faith. Okay, um, if I if I may just touch a little bit on on that, um, Guru Nanak was not only uh, the founder, but he he's he's actually a reformer. He's actually a reformer. He has come to clarify uh, because don't forget, four major religions already existed before the Sikh faith was born 500 years ago. There there was no need to crowd uh, to crowd up the playing field with another faith to confuse people. So, so Guru Nanak basically came to, uh, you know, we, we Sikhs, we, we, we say it in this way, he came to clear up the air, came to clear up the air, because at the time when Guru Nanak was born, um, uh, if you go back into the history of India, there was a huge conflict going on in India between the invading armies from um, uh, uh, from from the middle, uh, from the, the Turkic armies and the Mong Mongolian invaders, Afghan invaders, invaders. So there was a lot of invasions going on, and they were trying to impose their faith and their religion on the people of India. So there was this huge conflict going on, and Guru Nanak tried to put, place himself in the middle and bring reform and say, "Look, folks." We, uh, we are all the children of one God. So Sikh Guru Nanak introduced this concept of the fatherhood of God and the brotherhood of man to, to, the, to the people of Northern India at that time and said, stop, you know, wh why are we bickering over places of worship? Why are we bickering over forms of worship? You know, wh why all this external, uh, you know, quarrel? And ha have we all forgotten that there is only one creator. If there is only one father, why are we the children trying to divide him and claim ownership over him? You know, so, so that is Guru Nanak. Now, after him come um, uh, nine, uh, 10 more gurus, 10 more gurus. Nine of them are physical, up to Guru Gobind Singh. And then after Guru Gobind Singh, uh, so uh, what will happen? 
something will happen, I'll come to that. So Guru Nanak is our first Guru. But Guru Nanak was very, very clear to say that this physical body that I possess is not the Guru. The Guru is actually the light, the divine light that, that I carry. This divine light is the divine knowledge that I carry. And this is what I have come to impart. Don't forget, this body is perishable. And one day Guru Nanak will not be here anymore. So don't mistakenly believe this body to be the Guru. The Guru is the creator. He is the divine, the, uh, divine light, the divine knowledge, the divine wisdom. So he made that clear. Then when it came to the next Guru, as I said, there were nine human physical persons. This light was then transferred. This light was then transferred. This transference of light would take place a short time before that Guru would leave his physical body. For example, Guru Nanak transferred his light. He made Guru Angad, our second master, to be seated on the throne. And he bowed before him. And he declared to the congregations that from now on, Guru Angad is the Guru. He now possesses the divine light. So this process of transfer continued until Guru Gobind Singh, the 10th master that we had. After that, this transference was, was carried out and this light was transferred into our holy scripture. So today, Sikhs consider the, 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 the scripture to be to contain that light, to contain that light. Therefore, you will probably uh, see Sikhs uh, show a lot of reverence to, to our scripture. The scripture is uh, placed on a high pedestal in front uh, in our Gurdwaras. And there will always be a person during prayer time waving a whisk over it. There will be a lot of adornments and decorations. And so it is, it's, um, it, is, it's, it is very sacred to us because it contains that divine light. So I hope I have answered the question. Succession. Before, before I, I bring in the other two, other two uh, guests this, this evening, just, just before, since you already touched, you already touched about the scriptures, uh, I just want, just like to know, I mean, uh, just help us understand, like, for example, for Christians, we call it the Bible. Is there a special name that you call your scriptures? Uh, secondly, in terms of its authorship, uh, it's uh, who, who has authored it uh, and, and how, it, I, I, I know that, that scriptures are very important because I, I've seen in my neighbor's house, you know, the continuous reading of the scripture that takes place very often. Uh, the people take turns to read. Um, in terms of its authorship, where does it come from? Uh, so, Gleb, that's sorry. for you. Right. Okay, question three is yours, sir. Yeah, Captain, Sug Captain Sugdev, you, to you. Since you already... Since you already yeah. Oh, yeah, I yeah, misunderstood. Since you already yeah. scriptures, yeah. And, yeah. and then we'll bring in the other two. Okay, the six scriptures, uh, interestingly, are actually songs. Okay. The, the entire scripture is just a compilation of songs because the only worship that Guru Nanak taught us was singing, to sing to the Creator, to sing to the world, to sing, um, to sing and to sing. Whenever he confronted a situation where explanation was required, rather uh, reform was required, he would put it into a song and he would deliver it. So that is Guru Nanak. He started that practice. So we had a, a whole set of songs that um, that were that, that, that were pre, uh, that were written by Guru Guru Nanak. 
and subsequently by the other gurus as well in the same practice. And because as I've already explained earlier, uh, that all the other gurus were actually the transference of light. So all the gurus have signed off the song with the name Nanak, no matter whatever was their name, whether it was Arjun or whether it was Ramdas or whether it was Teg Bahadur, but they sign off the song in the last line is says Nanak. So, and so, and so what, 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 what does the song contain? Moral teachings, praise of God, what does it contain? The, the, the songs contain everything. It contains uh, praise, it contains praise, it contains um, uh, songs of asking. Okay. With songs of asking, songs of thanking, songs of thanking the Creator. It contains songs of um, uh, lament. There, there, are, there are times when, when, when there's, there's a moment to lament, the time for prayer, when we need to cry in front of God. There, we have those songs. And uh, sorry, sorry, asking uh, uh, thanks and uh, uh, lament and praise. Yeah, so, so we have all of these songs. And then there are certain uh, a few uh, compositions which are, uh, which are, for example, on page 1035, two pages have been actually dedicated to the creation of the universe, which is basically the Big Bang Theory. Guru Nanak described the entire Big Bang Theory on page 1035 for two pages, how from the void in, a, in an instant, a trillionth of a second, everything came into existence. So all of that. So you have little bits and pieces, but generally it is about God. It doesn't contain so many stories or histories, except when it is it was required to explain a point. Then some story may, may be included. Let's bring in the other yeah, our other two guests. Well, Xavier. Yeah. Sardar I must ask you this. I also hear about this word Kalsa. You know, I mean, I'm not very familiar with that. Maybe you could share with us on its role in the Sikh community and society at large, especially in this present time. How do you define those? Or a little explanation on that would help us to understand what this Kalsa is all about. Okay, thank you, Father Xavier. Actually, um, Kalsa, actually, Kalsa is actually some uh, defined as pure. Defined as pure. And uh, Kalsa was actually formed by Guru, Nana, uh, Guru Gobind Singh our 10th guru about 300 years over it's roughly about in ad 1999 uh, 1699 and uh, a sikh is born a, a, a guy is a person is born in the sikh uh, he takes baptized on birth okay and when he grows up then he will take another baptized which we call amrit sanskar and upon completing the Amrasaskar ceremony, he will then be called a Khalsa once he's been, been baptized. Okay. And uh, this baptized ceremony is basically carried out at the Gurdwara, at, uh, which is known as Amrasaskar. And this ceremony makes, uh, it is actually taken over by, uh, it's actually guided over by five uh, loved ones, which we call Panjipiare, and this Panjipiare will then wear the traditional outfit, where they will be the one who will be giving the blessings to to the newcomers, and they are being actually blessed into Khalsa. So this is two between. You are born as a Sikh, but then you baptize into a Khalsa. 
And ritual there's a ritual you that you perform in that uh, process of bringing them into that uh, uh, khalsa yes correct and uh -huh. this khalsa have to perform the five case in the in the sikhism religion okay do you, do you want to do you want to say what the five case are uh, okay. the uh, five case yeah. are things you started already yes the five case are a case which is uncut hair, kada, the round bangle, which is steel round bangle, and then kanga, it's a wooden comb, a kachara, it's actually a cotton underwear, and kirpan, a steel sword, a small sword which is worn over the, the body. Okay, all these are actually the five cases that the Khalsa carries with him. It is applicable to both uh, male and female, or it's... yes, it's applicable to both males and female. Basically, uh, there are these five symbols that uh, a Khalsa carries with him. Thank you. You can see a lot of Sikhs uh, who have not even taken the the Amra Saskar, who have not been baptized, but they still have a kada. Uh, they they have the basic ones with them. I see. Uh, but the Khalsa will carry all the five. Okay. Okay. Hope that explains. Yeah, yeah. Doctor, Doctor Dave, let me let me bring you let me bring into you into this conversation uh, since you are so silent. Uh, I, I'm just wondering, you know, of course, you know, like we always say in Malaysia, we celebrate all festivals. You know, whoever's ce celebration. I mean, of course, for the Sikhs, I mean, you know, it's it's Vaisakhi that we that you celebrate. Uh, in many ways, but what what are the what other we may not know what are other major festivals uh, in Sikhism that you know that does not meet the the the, the ordinary person's eye, but it's an important uh, feast uh, among the Sikhs in Malaysia. Okay, thank you for the question, Father. Okay, technically for Sikhism, as you mentioned earlier, the most important festival is actually Vasaki, because Vasaki is actually the birth of Khalsa where the Sikhs were given a clear identity on who they are and also a code of conduct to live by. Or in other words, you can put it as a guidebook of the way of living. Okay, so this Vasaki is actually celebrated at a large scale throughout the Sikh community in the world. And we celebrate it by attending a three-day recital of the Holy Book, also known as the Sri Guru Granth Sahib Ji in which the followers offer their prayers by bowing down with much reverence and also favor. And the Sangat, which is actually the public, dresses up in the traditional clothing in this occasion. So Vasaki is actually a very important festival that is actually celebrated on the 14th of April every year. Another two important main festival that actually is important in Sikhism is actually the Prakash uh, Aftar Dihara of Guru Nanak, which is the birth, and also the Kutosh Dihara of Guru Nanak as well, which is the dead anniversary. So this tree is actually among the very important festivals in Sikhism. Okay, thank you. Yeah, so how, how, are, how are these celebrated? Very quickly, I mean, for a okay. lot of religions, okay, people go to the temple. Uh, is it expected of every Sikh on these days to go to the temple or can they pray at home? Okay, technically in Sikhism, we believe that you can pray anywhere you want. There is not a necessity, it's not necessary for you to actually visit a holy place for you to do the prayer. But we normally actually go to the Gurdwara, the place where we normally you know, gather around. And most of the time when we actually talk about the festive season, they always have a three-day ritual prayer. 
So we'll be reading the holy book from the start up to the end non-stop for three days. And people are flexible. You can come in wherever it's convenient for you and visit the Gurdwara. We just bow down, listen to the prayer, and yes, that's about it. The reading is for three, three days continuous. Yes, three days continuous. But of course, we have a few of the priests that will be interchanging in between, you know. Okay. We usually have volunteers to, to take one hour or two hour, uh, uh, what do you call, re reading uh, sessions. And then they, and basically, this is the devotional part. This is the devotional part that happens at the Gurdwara. But um, besides this, uh, obviously, there is, there is what happens outside is, uh, again, uh, all the merrymaking and uh, whatever that, that goes on, which is very, very typical. I don't think we, we, we even need to ex explain that because in every faith you will have all the, you know, what we do at home, you know, the candle lighting, the lamps and the song and the, uh, all of that as well. This, this part was just the devotional part. No, you say you say that people take turns to read. I mean, for for, for the benefit of our our viewers here, uh, in what language is is the sacred scripture written in for people to be able to read that? Uh, it's uh, it's written in the in the Guru Mukhi. It's a Guru Mukhi, Guru and Mukhi. So it is the language of the language of of the Guru. So it, okay. that's we call it Guru Mukhi. It's basically a, a form of Punjabi. Uh, oh, sorry, the Punjabi uh, text is Punjabi, but the Gurumukhi uh, um, language, if I may use the word, in, incorporates words which are uh, were, were, were from the languages. There are, I think, 16 languages that are used in the Guru Granth Sahib because wherever Guru Nanak went, and if I may just mention that Guru Nanak in his lifetime conducted four journeys um, he, he traveled for 32 years of his life. He wasn't at home. Uh, he conducted four journeys north, south, east, west. He traveled 20,000, 20, approximately 20,000 kilometers around the world all the way. Uh, what, what might not be known to most people, um, he traveled to the centers of pilgrimage of every religion. He went to Hindu places, Rishikesh, Haridwar, he went to Buddhist places, he went to Budgaya, he went to Mecca, Medina, he went to he went to Rome, he went to Baghdad, and we are now even discovering, we've even discovered a document last few years ago, some conversation, if I'm, if you may allow me to mention, uh, that um, Martin Luther in, in Germany, in Europe, has, uh, ha, has, has written uh, written something about the man called Nanak, N-A-N-A-C. He's, he's spelled N-A-N-A-C. So Guru Nanak uh, made it his, his, his life mission to go to all the centers of all the faiths. So, uh, so therefore, uh, wherever he preached and wherever he sang, so we have songs in Persian, we have songs in, uh, um, in Arabic. So we, have, so we have all of this in the Shiri Guru Granth. So no, I just want, I just want I just want to yeah I just want to come to 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 Mr. Sukhdev Sukhdev, you know I, I think the, 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 when we talk about the symbol of of, of Sikhism, uh, uh, very often I, I think I, I don't, I'm not sure whether I'm going to pronounce it correctly the Kanda 
is that that's that is the symbol and and i, I think it was also pointed out to us that is not that is not the actual symbol it was the earlier symbol that captain sukdev pointed to us the first word in in the scripture is actual but we all used to that symbol what what is the meaning of the symbol and what's the difference uh, what what does that symbol actually mean because that's what i've seen until when you pointed out to us i just, I, I didn't realize the difference either Okay. Uh, the the kanda is actually the symbol of six, whereas the the ekongkar is the first scripture of the uh, one. I think uh, Captain Sukdev has the logo of kanda. Uh, if you don't mind, can you show? Uh, yeah. Okay. That that is the kanda, and uh, you see they have the uh, the two kerpans on the left and right side, and then you have the the the, the round. Right in the in the center, and then you have the uh, uh, what do you call that, uh, Captain Sukhdev? Uh, shall I? Uh, okay, let me let me just explain this. This is the trying to align myself correctly. Um, this is the Kanda symbol. This is actually a military insignia. Uh, this is the Khalsa's insignia because the Khalsa uh, is a slightly different uh, to, to try to understand it. The name of our religion, the faith, is Sikh. But within within the Sikh faith, we have an institution called the Khalsa. The Khalsa is basically uh, a people's militia. And the Khalsa was a people's militia that was created by the 10th master, um, basically for social, uh, to protect, the, 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 the to, to, to liberate India from the invaders. So that's the, the, the origin. Of, of this Khalsa. So this symbol is purely a military symbol. As you can see, it's all weapons. Let me describe. On the two sides, you will see uh, two swords. If you can make that out, those two swords. And in the middle, you see a double-edged sword. This is a double-edged sword. And then there's a circle around it. That circle is also a weapon. It is uh, it's, it's flat and it is sharp on the edges. It was an um, airborne weapon which was used to be slung into the to the approaching uh, in attacker. So this is a uh, the, this is the kanda, and you may see it on gurdwaras on on flags and all that. This because this was a people's militia. After the people who had occupied India were driven out, this people's militia continued and transformed itself into uh, to serve humanity, to serve people. So um, that's why we put this this on our flag and. Um, when you see this in a gurdwara, it was meant to in, it's meant to tell the the, the pe person or people in India, wherever you are, that in this place you will have you will find shelter, you will find protection, you will find food, lodging, whatever that you need. So this symbol signifies uh, uh, represents rather the, uh, the 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 people's militia and these people who are the the the, the who are, full-time committed, the Khalsa, who is full-time committed to serving humanity. So that's what this Khanda stands for. And uh, the other one I already discussed, this is the symbol of the faith, the one God, the one creator. Very quickly, uh, Captain, just to, to you again, very quickly, just would ask you about this. This is a curiosity of many people, I think, including we, we are growing up days. We see the Sikhs have this uh, hair grown, and uh, especially the males, have not the hair not cut, and uh, 
some these days i see we used to term them as modern sing i do not know whether this is correct uh, pardon us for this uh, you know, ignorance on this uh, so just just very briefly you can just share with us on this uh, the, the reason why you are having this hair and the beard and all which is very significant okay. religion yeah yeah because uh, okay let me let me put it this way and make it as uh, you know short as possible um in the sikh world view in the sikh view of creation whatever god has created is perfect whatever god has designed is perfect so if when a child is born the child is born uh, with this hair um so um so what we are basically doing is um is honoring is honoring god uh with the form that he has given us and uh, so we do not remove uh hair from our from from our body and we 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 believe that this is one way uh, of uh, of honoring the uh, the gift that that god has given us of this of this body so this is why we do not cut our hair um there a question usually arises i'm sorry if i'm going to take a one more one or two more minutes people sometimes say but you don't cut your hair but you cut your fingernails so where does where does how does this work out you know you are saying that on the one hand god given you this hair and you don't cut your hair but at the same time you cut your fingernails so uh, if i may allow to solve uh, to solve this mystery basically we yes we cut our fingernails but actually what we are doing is removing dead tissue we are just removing dead we do not remove the live tissue even if you didn't remove the dead tissue the nail will break off anyway in the same way we we do when we we are we are our faith requires us to comb our hair twice a day before morning prayer before evening prayer we need to cleanse ourselves so we shower and we need to so we when we comb our hair we are actually doing the same thing as removing our nails our dead nails our dead hair will come out in the comb you know so so the the process the process is the same it's just that uh here maybe physical cutting is involved with the nail but the fact remains we are actually just removing dead tissue we remove dead tissue in our hair by combing it out so the 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 act the action is is the same uh so this is what i just needed to say um we the the six believe uh this is one part the second part is this human body has been designed perfect by the creator you we we accept that we understand that the hair whereas the whole human body has got hair on it except for the sole of the feet and the and the palm the rest of the body has hair on it um but you but you will notice that the longest hair is on top of our head and if you are familiar with indian system of 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 understanding the human body has got seven chakras these are the spiritual centers the energy centers in our body and the crown chakra is on the top of our head the crown chakra the crown chakra is the chakra of spirituality so um so so the crown chakra is located on top of my head this hair has been placed here by the creator to support the spiritual center here and we believe that the hair has something there's a, there's entire volumes and volumes of stuff that has been researched and placed in books um we believe this hair is associated with our spirituality and that's why you will notice that all almost all indian mystics and rishis and munis and uh, even even the holy buddha 
if you notice the Buddha, he has got hair and he has got his hair tied on the top of his head. So, so this is a this was a this is an Indian understanding that the hair is part of your spiritual body. It is integral to your spiritual body, and uh, that's why we tie it on the top, where which we call the crown chakra. We tie it up. We, we actually call it the rishi knot. It's actually uh, the jargon that we we use is the rishi knot because the rishis of India, the holy men of India, whoever it is, uh, you will see whatever faith it is, they always tie their hair on top of the head. So, uh, so this is the Indian uh, view. If I may just uh, speak on behalf of the other religions that come from India. So this is why we grow our hair long and we leave, we leave it. And now the question about the modern Sikhs that you mentioned. Yes, as my brother Subdev mentioned, <clears throat> when you are born, you are born as a Sikh. You are given, a, 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 you are initiated into the Sikh faith. But it is when you become a Khalsa that you are committed to keeping your five uh, your ten, five obligations, the, the hair and all that. So, so that is why as, uh, some Sikhs may choose. They have chosen not to not to keep their hair. There has been a lot of, uh, uh, as you know, evolution in our thinking. Uh, so some of us are a bit more traditional. We we grow our hair long. We keep it as in tradition. And some others have have have, uh, have chosen uh, not to. So it it, does, it doesn't make them any lesser. Uh, of a Sikh is just how they how they view uh, how they view things. But if you were a Khalsa, then you are committed to having uh, to not. I may if I may use the word to not violate the the body uh, in any way and accept it the way it has been given to you. So I hope does that does yeah. that clear? Yeah. Yes. I think one one of the things about about uh, places of worship. Uh, it, it is it's quite unique. Every every religion has got a very unique place of worship in terms of architecture, uh, in terms of worship, of course, worship too. Uh, I, I don't know how many of our viewers have actually, we, we may have seen uh, a, a, a Sikh temple from the outside. But I just would like to ask Sukhdev, you know, can you give us a kind of a visual image, you know, at, at this time? What, how is it like in a, inside the temple? Uh, you know, if just, you know, kind of a, if, if we can try and imagine for ourselves how what what is, what is the worship space like uh, in a Sikh temple? Okay. Uh, in, in the Gurdwara, uh, Gurdwara Sahib, the the temple the Sikh in the Gurdwara Sahib where the worship is being taken, we call it Adarbar Sahib. Okay, as you go in, first of all, when you go in into the Darbar, okay, as as you go to some of the Gurdwaras, they have double story and triple story. And the top story, the top upper floor will be the Darbar Sahib. Anybody going into the Darbar Sahib, first of all, he need to be properly dressed and the head must be covered. Whether it's a male or a female, the head must be covered. Okay. As we enter into the door, uh, we go right straight, we can see the Sri Guru Granth Sahib Prakash, which is the our, our Holy Scripture. And we walk into straight into the uh, Holy Scripture there, and in front of the Holy Scripture, <coughs> we will bow down and say our prayers. Then we moved up, and then we hold our two hands together, and then we will go and sit on on the floor at the uh, and in the Tarbar side itself. Okay, you mentioned about the space. The space all depends on the size of the uh, the bar side. Some of the Darbar Sahib can hold until uh, between 300 
people, uh, 300 of the public inside there. Some of the Tabar, which are smaller, they can only hold about 100 people. And currently, the pandemic, where we have a social distancing, distancing <coughs> cell, um, maybe you can, out 300, maybe you can only have about 100 people at the Darbar Sep. And uh, in the Darbar Sep, it's actually where all the uh, the prayers are held. Uh, we have a dice in the, in, on the right side, where a, a raised platform, where the hymns are sang, or, or they give some kind of... Uh, uh, they give some kind of a briefing, all done at the stage there. Hymns are sang and all. And that's another area where the our spiritual, Holy Spiritual Book Guru Granth Sahib is. The priest will sit on top there and recite all the prayers from the uh, our Guru Granth Sahib. So basically, these are the general uh, layout of the, the Darbar, I mean our uh, Darbar Sahib of uh, Gurdwara Sahib. Oh. Yeah. If, I, if, I just, if, if I just can continue with just a little bit, just, just a bit, I, want, I just want to bring Dr. Dave into, into this conversation. Yeah. Dr. Dave, I mean, your father, of course, your father, so Dave has kind of described what the temple space is like. Uh, what, what would be the role of young people uh, it, it generally uh, in, 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 a, in a temple? What kind of activities do they have for young people? It'd be quite interesting for us to know what kind of, you know, what, what, you, what you do in a temple for, for a lot of young people. Okay, so when we talk about activities, it can be a range of activities actually. Activities that associate in getting together as in doing work together, what we call it as a seva. Seva means uh, doing something in the temple in the form of you know, spiritual part in terms of reading the Gurbani together or either in terms of doing some cleaning up, some food serving. So when you talk about the youths, right? Youths actually, we have a Punjabi class, a Punjabi school in the Gurdwara itself. So what the youths will be doing is they will be participating in the activities in the religious classes. They will also be uptaking activities in the form of doing social works around. So when I talk about social works, actually, it can be social work in the Gurdwara in terms of cleaning the plates. Because see, in the Gurdwara, we have, uh, how you say, we have something called langar. Langar is something where actually we serve food to whoever that comes to the Gurdwara. So when we talk about langar, you see, we have an open kitchen. So people can come in, they dine in, and then they can... Uh, we have a policy where people who comes in, we either take their plates away or either we do the washing. So that is another form of sewa as well. So another thing that we talk about is actually activities in case, especially now there's COVID. So, you know, people, some of them are jobless, they can't go anywhere. So, some people are in the needy, they've got no food to eat. So, what the youngsters are actually doing is, they are actually setting up and actually ran a few food banks where they actually cook the food in the temples and some of them even associated with a few NGOs and they actually went around giving food around to people in need. So, yes, that is among the activities. Actually, if you want to talk about activities, there's a wide range of it, but just to yeah. narrow things down. Now you, you talk you talk you talk a bit about about the langar about the yes. it's supposed to be like the community kitchen isn't it I mean yes, you know, today to, today today we talk about soup kitchens this concept of langar has been around I mean as long as I was schooling I know my I used to be a beneficiary of my friends who, <laughs> who, who, who used to bring some nice food uh, I still remember and we shared we shared uh, amongst ourselves uh, this this idea of where, where does this come from. I mean, where does this idea of a community kitchen come from? I'm just curious to know. 
I mean, when you, when you are young, we never ask this question because we just enjoy the food. That's all we did. Yes, as long as the food came and we ate, we were happy. Is, is there something that, that Guru Nana talked about that to have a community kitchen for anyone who needs, I know anyone who comes, they're served a food, they have served food. The, Dr. Dave, you want to expand a little bit? You already talked about the, the langar just now. Okay, so when we talk about the langar, actually, yes, it is actually in the uh, founded by Guru Nanan Devji, but there is actually a very, how do you say, uh, unique story behind it. Okay, so before I answer the question, let me give you a short story on how this langar is actually, the concept is actually formed. Okay, it goes back when Guru Nanak Devji was actually a young boy and his father, who was actually a trader by profession, wanted him to learn the art of running a business. So what he did was he actually gave Guru Nanak Devji some money and asked him to go out and do some good trade or in Sikhi, what we call it as a Sacha Sauda. Okay, on his way out, Guru Nanak Devji came across a few poor people around and they have actually not eaten for days. So what he did, he came in, he helped out, and at the very same moment, he got an idea. He went, he went and bought some groceries, and he made a meal, and he actually fed the poor people. In for his ideology, right? Okay, this term of good trade or such a sauda is was what he wanted to do, and that was what he actually went out to do. So he got into cooking, and he fed the people with simple, healthy food. When he returned home, his dad actually got a bit annoyed with him because there was no profit to show the father. So when the father was actually you know, angry and scolding him and asking what actually happened, what he did with the money and so on, Guru Nanak replied by saying that the true profit is actually in serving others without the intention of gaining something for yourself. With this selfless thought, the, the langar actually became a tradition in Sikhism. So when you talk about this langar, right, langar is actually a vegetarian meal uh, that is cooked actually in the Gudwara and also, yeah, you can cook in your house actually. And it's commonly served in the Gudwara during events and it's also open to everyone. That means you, uh, if we are not narrowing down to the, the six only, we are actually open to all race and religion. You can come into the Gudwara, you can actually have the food. The only thing we require is for you to cover your head. And another thing that uh, if you see, like, uh, if anyone were to realize in the Gudwara, you will actually have a flag, and the flagpole is actually very, very tall. But that also depends on the Gudwara's law. But as a tradition, especially in India, the flagpole is actually very high up. And the reason of actually having this tall flagpole is actually to indicate that there's a location where people can actually go to in case they need food shelter and security actually the main ideology over here is to ensure that no one actually goes to bed hungry yeah. so the concept okay. of food bank already existed long before yes yeah actually it was on the since Rodana, actually yeah sure for the xavier dave i i must say the kir is also part of that uh the best part <laughs> Yeah, I, I think I enjoy it because it's the chapati, the kheer, and also the Punjabi tea. These are things that I, I enjoy when I'm around the temple, you know. So that's really nice. Yeah, just, uh, uh, Sukhdev, I just want to ask you, I think if anyone of you also could uh, answer this, uh, share this. 
uh, this golden temple in Amritsar it fascinates me a lot. You know, it's a beautiful, uh, beautiful icon of the Sikhs. And uh, is it a, a, a thing like the the others who have the pilgrimage? You know, every religion have their own pilgrimages where they go. Do, do they have? Do you have this as a compulsory thing among the Sikhs, or is it only something which is uh, optional? Or how is it uh, being viewed or practiced by the Sikhs? You can share with a little bit of that. Okay, thank you, Brother Xavier. Okay, the pilgrim to Amritsar or the Golden Temple is not compulsory in Sikhs. But if a Sikh wants to visit, he has the fund, he has he can afford to go to Golden Temple, it will be a good uh, trip for him to go over and view the history of our Sikh gurus over in uh, the Golden Temple. And uh, yes, the Sikh history is all over India and also in Lahore, Pakistan. So if a person has the money, yes, they can go and visit, but it's not compulsory for a Sikh to go to the Golden Temple. There's, there's no compulsory that they must go. Ah, I see. Okay. All right. Just would ask about uh, a little about this uh, interfaith. You no, know, today we are in a country which is so multiracial, of course, racial, but of course, you know the stand of some religions. But uh, the interfaith kind of marriages, how is we viewed by the Sikhs and also of the faith of the others? Maybe you could start on this uh, interfaith a little bit. The marriages that you is there is very common among the Sikhs, or is there some kind of a prohibition which you could share a little bit? Uh, maybe, uh, Captain, maybe you could share with us, with us on that. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, on interfaith uh, marriages. Um, yeah. Yeah, I, I, I think if you, if, if you ask me for a comment, I will want to address it probably in this way that it's not really uh, so much a, a, a question for religion or faith. I think it is more for community because uh, the, um, we, are, we, are all, we, we all know that marriage is, uh, um, is an institution very, very beautiful, very, very necessary, but requires a lot of energy and requires a lot of work, uh, you know. And um, uh, if both parties are from the same faith, then it makes it that much easier uh, for the, for marriage to be to to, to be uh, uh, you know to be beautiful. Um, I, I if I may just introduce um, another element. One is interfaith marriage. One is interracial marriage, because two persons may be from the same faith, but they may be from different races or different nations or whatever. So, if we can relate to that as a in, let's talk about interrace, you know how challenging it is to to marry into uh, marry into two marry two different races. There's a whole different uh, uh, dy dynamics to it. You know, different the in-laws, the relatives, and everybody different faith. So that itself is dif difficult enough. Interrace is already difficult enough. Then we have interfaith, uh, which which you can imagine multiplies that by. So this Sunday we are going to go to this place of worship, and next Sunday it will be my turn, and next Sunday will, and the kids right. grow confused and and so on and so forth. So I think if I may just uh, uh, make it brief. Um, it is a community uh, issue, and um, we certainly, of course, love is a very tricky thing. We all know, and it is so easy to fall in love interfaith. 
and interrace so easy, especially in today's world where we all work in same places and uh, office and and so on and so forth. Is to go to colleges and universities and everybody coming together, but there's a huge challenge. There's a huge challenge, and I can clearly say this challenge is the same for any community and any religion, whatever it it may be, religion or community, and it requires a huge amount of energy. So I would conclude by saying um, it is certainly um, viewed with a lot of concern. If, you, if you're going to have a, a, an interfaith marriage or interracial marriage, it's, it, will be, it will be a challenge. Uh, absolutely. If, I, if, if I may just add a little bit, you know, I, I think when I mean, you talk about interfaith or interracial, I just want to maybe say that marriage in itself is very challenging in whatever right. form. In the world, in the, in, in the world today, isn't it? I mean, you're talking to two people who are not married. For the Xavier and myself, we're not married. So, <laughs> but we see people, we, we 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 see people with so much of challenges compared to maybe the times of our parents. Compared to the times of our parents, marriage uh, as an institution has got more challenges today. Um, doesn't really matter whether it's. I mean, I, I know you 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 express you know the challenges are, are escalated when it's interfaith or. But in itself, the whole institution itself is, is being challenged in many ways today yeah. uh, compared, yeah. compared to what it was maybe 50 years ago uh, in that sense. Uh, people but, are know, becoming so fearful. People are becoming so fearful yeah. of it. And yeah. they, are, they are moving away from this institution, which is, which is terrible. Yeah. You know, it's, it's going to hurt humanity. You know, uh, the casualness with which people are approaching marriage and, uh, you know, the insecurity with which they are approaching marriage, you know, so it's, it's a difficult situation already. And as you said, sorry, what, I interrupted yeah, you, Father. No, no while, while you mentioned that, uh, Captain Sudev, I, I just want to, to bring into, the, into this conversation as we are coming to an end. Uh, what are other social concerns? We talked, you already talked about marriage as, an, as, a, as a concern. What are other social concerns uh, in the Sikh community uh, as a whole uh, for, I mean, for whatever, for, for humanity, for the community? What, what are other major concerns that you may have? Uh, the major concerns is uh, the, the, I would say, if I, may, if I may be allowed to zero into one, it is uh, the, the problem with materialism, the, 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 the problem with, uh, uh, with, with humanity uh, moving away from the divine, uh, not seeing the relevance of the divine not seeing the relevance of the, the church and the temple and prayer and meditation and healing of the soul body. You know, that everybody is only engaged in the pleasures of the physical body. So, um, so these, are, these are like some of our concerns. And of course, it's a global phenomena uh, with all the gadgets and all the stuff that the consumer world is producing and throwing at humanity and everybody just blindly uh, grabbing whatever that is being thrown uh, by the capitalists, you know, uh, at us, you know, without uh, any, 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 any uh, awareness. So this awareness is what we are, we are very, very concerned about this, this loss of awareness over the last few decades and how it's getting worse and how today's kids, you know, little children, we have, uh, we having, or we are already having difficulty getting them to, um, to, 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 to go to places of worship. And this is uh, apparently common with every faith. And uh, this MCO hasn't helped at all because uh, it, it, has made, uh, it has made the kids even more 
want to stay at home and play their computer games and no i don't no i don't want to go i want to stay at home you know now now now, now that you mentioned now that you mentioned that i'm going to bring in dr dave for a rebuttal <laughs> to, def to defend the young people dr dave you know yes. yeah i mean this is this is a, a, a reality that many religions face you know that young people are not interested you know do, do you find that a, a concern that your peers uh, when you organize things for young people, are they interested? Are they not? Or what kind of things are they interested when you organize, especially in the temple? Okay, so when you talk about the interest, well, one thing with the current generation, it's very really difficult to get hold of them to do you know, something for the interest of the community. It's mostly they want to do something for the interest of themselves. So, like, example, PUBG tournament is the current trend. <laughs> so when we talk about uh, you know the first step is always unity we always have to bring them together so my opinion and what i try to do is rather than trying to enforce something trying to force them to do something they do not want to do mine as well we start off with a keyword which is unity that means we even though they want to do something for themselves but we bring them together let them to form a group. So slowly, once they are together, we can enforce on one next level, you know, ask them to start doing some things around here and there. Which is technically almost the same thing what I did in Medan, because I actually studied in Medan. So over there, one thing regarding what the Sikh community, if you were to go to the Gurdwaras, the youngsters over there, they have no, they have lost touch with Sikhism in a way. The reason why I say so is because the first thing, the Parents, when you go to the Gurdwaras, rather than talking in the you know, Punjabi language, they'll be talking in Basa. And the only one talking in our own mother tongue language is the priest. So when they don't understand what's going on over there, there's really a communication barrier over there, they lost touch with it. So when we, what we did was actually we created, uh, we actually held a camp over there. It was a three days camp in which we try to gather them to be united, to mingle around, to talk, to communicate, while they are learning a little bit also regarding apostasy. So back to the question, for me, whether it's uh, you know, any events or any social affairs, the first key is actually the current generation is getting them to be united before we can actually enforce the next level in terms, you know, doing anything related to Sikhism or anything else in the world. Wow. So, Mr. Subdev, I mean, you are quite blessed. You know, you have your, your son who is very involved in the temple. Uh, so I think in some ways, other the challenges that other parents may face is a bit less compared to, uh, to for you at least, uh, to oh, be you. able to see. So you have kind of shared uh, your own, your, your, your wisdom. You have transmitted your wisdom to him also. Uh, uh, into this. Just let me add on a bit on uh, sure. Dr. Teshdev. Uh, in the six here, we have a youth camp. Is that, is, is, that, is, that what, is that what you call him at home, Dr. Teshdev, or do you call him son? When he calls you a full name, that means you are in trouble. <laughs> okay. Uh, Teshdev, I say, touch me on the one. Uh, we have a youth camp in uh, Kolakbu Baru. Uh, where we have a lot of activities for the youth, uh, such as uh, we have uh, uh, in in the month of December, we have a seven days program for all the youths all over Malaysia, Singapore, Indonesia, Bank uh, from Thailand, uh, I think even from Australia. 
they will come over to Kuala Baru and have a youth uh, events. Uh, no, this is, so, so these are these are pre-pandemic days you're talking about, you know. It's actually not pre-pandemic days. Even actually last year they had a virtual session. Virtual, yeah. So virtual. I'm talking about yeah, virtual. So when yeah. we talk about this camp, right? Actually, this camp, the function is actually as what I mentioned, is to bring them together as well as to you know enforce the teachings of Sikhism into them. But we all know a current generation attention span is only about one hour. Anything more than that, they'll be like a zombie roaming around what to do next, what to do next, how to deviate their mind. Yeah. So when you talk about this camp over here, it's actually we go to KKB, the Kuala Kubu Center. There's a land over there, a camp over there where we dedicate seven days. You wake up at six, you have your own ritual prayers and you have your activities, you have your get-together sessions, you have your chill-out session, you have the sports. So it's more of a staycation, but yes, we they do teach about Sikhism, they do teach about you know, what are the lifestyle of a Sikhi, a Sikh person, how does they do things and so on, the prayers, what is to be done, what is not to be done. And also what they do during this particular game is especially for those teenagers, those in secondary school who are moving next stage in life, which you want to go to college and so on. They do invite speakers, you know, in terms of motivation, motivating, guiding them, giving them a broader picture on what the real world life is. If I may just add here, this what what we have been talking about is only the national camp, the seven days sure. national camp. We have lots of regional camps because the Sikh community in Malaysia is uh, not across the nation. We tend to we tend to have pockets. We tend to have people like in Ipoh uh, around there. We may have people in Kedah in the in the Penang area and maybe in the south. And so what we do is we have regional camps as well in Malacca and stuff like that. So this goes on throughout the year. The one that we, we have just heard is the one, the national one that we will have uh, once a year. That happened, used to happen in December. So it, this is the only way we found, the only solution we can reach out to the kids because uh, the, we, we, we need to create an environment where they can be, they, they can experience, experience uh, devotion, experience prayer, experience participation, and so on and so forth. So this is how we do it, four-day camps, three-day camps, and then the national camp. Well, as, as Dr. Dave mentioned earlier, you know, with our younger people, the attention span is not more than one hour. It's not just for the young people. It's for, for I think, for most people. Uh, today, we, are, we have this, this kind of uh, virtual fatigue, digital fatigue of, of being online for so many different things. And we have gone more than an hour. Uh, we have reached across the, the hour mark. Uh, kind of before we, we bring this, I, I know that there are many things I'm sure every religion that comes on this this, this platform we have got so much of wisdom to share you know and we realize that in one hour that it's not possible to to be able to touch every aspect of one's faith but it is always our hope that it will inspire other people to have similar conversations with their friends to find out more uh, to find out more about about the religion and and to to be able to understand and respect one another so, I mean, I know there are lots of questions out there from our viewers. Uh, we are not able to take many of the questions, but we, we would like to encourage them, encourage you especially, uh, to, to go and meet your friends uh, and ask them these questions. And if they don't know, make, make them go and ask somebody who knows and get, and get them to give you the answers. This is just a little catalyst to help people to, to get to know others, to learn. Because I think we have been saying repeatedly, 
when you know the other, then you begin to learn how to respect, you begin to learn how to to understand better. You know, thing. Now, before we, before before we conclude and and to thank our our guests, you know, we are in the spirit between Merdeka and and Malaysia Day. You know, this spirit of of, of nationalism, patriotism. You know, really kind of. Uh, it is. It, it flows out in many different ways. I just want to ask uh, ask, ask you. Maybe I, I will I will start with 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 uh, uh, Sukdev. You know. You know. What what is you know as a Malaysian? What what is what is your hope for Malaysia? Um, the future, the next generation. What is your hope? Our hope is uh, we feel that we hope that everybody, all the interfaith religions, unite together and have a harmony stay in Malaysia, like what we used to do in the 60s, in the 70s. We hope that that era comes back again to the future. That is yeah. my hope. I'm, I'm going to kind of let the young, youngest person to speak the last, having, let him have the last say. But uh, Captain Sukdev, I, I want to give a little different twist uh, to your question rather than what you were part of the that, that award with championship, world champions. Uh, pipe band that you led to Scotland. Yeah, 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 uh, yeah. You know, it was the first. I think somebody outside of of the UK has won. Is it? Am I am I right? Uh, in that um, sense. Yeah, I guess of it's not only the UK. I think it was uh, outside of the European sphere. I would oh, say globally, right. worldwide. Yeah, yeah. So just to ask you, you know, were you there? Were you there on uh, at that time? Yeah, the time? Yeah, yeah. Okay. I was there. Uh, fortunately, what, what, I was there. <laughs> what What was it like for you? To be in a foreign land and to see the flag of Malaysia go up. It's, uh, it's very, very difficult to describe because uh, you can imagine, um, you can imagine there must have, there, there must have been, uh, there must be about 30 flags from the different countries that were participating. Uh, at the, and these flags were all displayed, arrayed at the highest point uh, in, in, in the arena. Uh, this was a huge field in Glasgow, uh, which is the downtown. It's like Central Park in New York. So, um, so the, to accommodate the, the hundreds of bands that have come from all over the world that need a venue of that size, and you can imagine uh, this uh, flag, then the Malaysian flag, uh, flying up there and uh, appearing on the on the big screen. And uh, I I don't know. It was uh, for the team members and members of the band it was a, a, a real uh, out of this this world experience and i don't think any it, it was expected from any one of us i mean we went in fully prepared but to win uh, in an in in an uh, environment uh, of of this of this nature it's like it's like the punjabi sending a shaolin expert to <laughs> To China and, and that guy beats up everybody else, you know, and uh, it is like something so so unnatural, you know. So so, so uh, it was it was a great day for us. We received congratulations from everywhere. The Malaysian flag was being displayed, and it was on the TV channels throughout the UK and even in the other countries where who were following this uh, World Championship. So um, it was all across the world and. Uh, uh, it was a, must, have, it must, have, must have been a proud moment for all of you to see the Malaysian surely, flag. Surely, surely, it was great. And when we came back to Malaysia, even in the airport in KLI, there were hundreds of people waiting there, you know, Amazing. to receive us. And it was a whole, it was a whole experience for, for Malaysia. I think it was, we felt good on that day. We really felt good. We had done something for our country, you know. Dr. Dave. Yes. 
as a young person, what is what is, what are your aspirations for Malaysia? What are your hopes for Malaysia? Okay, I will just give a simple ideology of it. Okay, you see, rivers, ponds, drain, they all contain water. So the best thing we can do as a human, as a society is live together with one another in a happy diplomatic situation. Okay, thank you very much uh, for that. those profound thoughts uh, to, to, for the future of Malaysia. Uh, and so before we before we conclude, just to say a word of thanks uh, to, to our guests this evening. Uh, Captain Subdev, thank you very much for sharing uh, your faith with us and also to, to Subdev Singh and also to Dr. Tashdev uh, for taking, most importantly, for the generosity of time that you have, that, that you have given to us, uh, the opportunity to have this conversation uh, and to help us understand better uh, the Sikh faith. Uh, and to all to all our and and to all our viewers out there uh, the, this conversation is recorded you can go back to catholics at home uh, either on our facebook channel or also on our youtube channel uh, you can share it with others get more people to view it uh, so that more people i know not, not many people are able to follow us live but you at your own time uh, you can uh, uh, relook and, and view this, this this whole thing again and to get more people to share this whole series on understanding world religions uh, that has been initiated by the Archdiocesan Ministry for Ecumenical and Interreligious Affairs. Father Xavier, over to yeah. you. What's, what's coming up next week? Yeah, first and foremost, uh, just before we conclude, uh, uh, what y'all have just shared at the end of the session, like on speaking about uh, the divinity, speaking about engaging with people, it is so difficult these days. The span of time is only one hour, one hour, 15 minutes. But if all of you, are, the, our viewers have been here following, I think every reason to congratulate them, especially the young. If the young are here right now, it is a great deal, I would say, you know, including Dave himself is here as an example, as a good example to show to the people. Uh, I think uh, this is something that is very, I think it is not a, a, a phenomenon of the Sikhs alone, but as you mentioned just now, it's a global phenomenon. So I think uh, this is a good platform to to be engaged and as, as you have just said, uh, don't not just to hear and just forget about it, but to get engaged in a little bit of discussion here and there. So it could start with a chapati and a tila, you know, that will be good. We could start with that and then we can Here, don't forget the kheer, don't forget the <laughs> Surely. So I would like to congratulate all viewers for having followed us throughout this, uh, uh, this two, one and a half hours almost, yes. And uh, not to forget our three guests, which Father Clarence, have, the, the three guests whom he has thanked. And uh, the AMIA team has worked hard, especially our three. Uh, we have four guys in our team in this uh, Sikh group. Kevin, Peter, Karen, and Jason, who have worked hard to put this time together, all this uh, session. And uh, not to forget Jason, who is at the back end of this uh, program, who is helping us out. And uh, not, of course, we have to remember to thank all of you who have been very much uh, following through all these sessions, not just thanking you so that you will uh, come back again, but to be able to do something more uh, to each other, uh, to this program, uh, to carry it forward in your relationships with, uh, with each one, with the people you encounter. Uh, and uh, not to forget Father Clarence, who has been the moderator for this evening. Thank you, Father Clarence, for kindly uh, leading us through this session. And to all of you at home, Wish you all well and not to forget, 
next week another interesting religion or we say conversation will be on so please come on for those of you who are here tonight we congratulate you we see you again next week good night take care god bless over to father clarence uh, maybe what i was just thinking maybe our guests and uh father clarence could end up with a little uh, prayer both from the sixth side and from the church from the catholic side just a little prayer of uh, unity and harmony before we conclude thank you anyone could start maybe on your side or father clarence could uh, our guest, uh, Captain uh, Sudeep, would you like to just lead us in a short prayer for the unity in our country? Yeah, maybe uh, maybe I can do that. Sure. Yes, yeah. <clears throat> Lord, why grew such a Pacha Mehrwan? Bless our country. Bless our nation. Bless us. Bless humanity. Bless this effort, bless the people who have made this possible and who are venturing out uncharted waters to bring healing, to bring humanity together. Bless us, especially at this time when we are confronted with a sickness that is crushing us, that is hurting us, that is taking away our loved ones. Baba, Father, we pray to you at this moment, me and all who are gathered through this medium, we pray to you, we reach out to you. Gurke Charan Upar Mere Mathe. Baba, I place my forehead, I place my head at your holy feet and offer this prayer that you may hear, grant us this space that we may enter your presence to offer this prayer, Baba, that you may hear us and hear these little voices in our hearts. Thank you, Baba. Nanuk Nam, Chardikala, Perevani, Bala. May you bless the whole of your creation. Thank you and Satnam. Lord God, we thank you for this opportunity, this, this, this conversation this evening. We thank you for our guests who have so generously shared their own path, their own way of life. Help us to grow as Malaysians, as a country that's united, despite our diverse beliefs, unite us as one common society and one humanity. We offer this country, we offer our nation into your loving hands we humbly ask you to bless each one of us that we may always work and strive for peace and harmony we pray all this in jesus name amen amen thank you thank you everyone thank and you good everyone. night and, and see you again soon God bless thank you good night bye good night.